So there's like reform. More yeah, in the, you mean in the Jewish sense, right? Well, yeah, like reform Judaism, you're saying that it's like yeah. reform Mormonism. Yeah, basically, because Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, after he was killed, he the, their, the, his congregation kind of split up into probably like 15 different churches. And a lot of them haven't survived to the present day, but there's... There's, there's one of them that is headquartered out of Independence, Missouri. And initially, they called themselves the Reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But eventually, they got in touch with sort of ec ecumenical Protestantism, like Episcopals and whatever, and, and through the National Council of Churches. And they started learning from them about that, oh, you don't have to take the Bible literally, mm -hmm. and you can still be a Christian. You don't have to believe everything in there is true. And so they basically started doing that with the Book of Mormon also. And okay. so now they actually completely renamed themselves to be the Community of Christ. And they don't accept the Book of Mormon as scripture. And they have women priests and they they have, they perform same-sex marriages. So It's funny because uh, Community of Christ sounds like one of those like kind of late 60s, early 70s, hippie sort of like 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 the like hippie christian yeah. groups Surfer yeah, Jesus. That, that, yeah that name sounds like it yeah yeah well yeah no and and, and they kind of have that vibe to some degree and i want to do an episode of theory of change about these guys because it is actually a really inspiring story as a matter of fact i mean you don't unfortunately you don't see a lot of those in american religion nowadays <laughs> yeah yeah but yeah no and like and they lost some members as a part of doing that but they've been kind of a they've become in the 21st century kind of a beacon for right re, like regular larger faction mormons utah-based mormons to look at because there are a lot of women in mainstream Mormonism who are like, this is really kind of shitty experience that we have here. That's not really fair. People that kind of think so, of themselves as like lapsed Mormons in some sense, but they still want to maintain a connection to Mormonism itself would be attracted to a group like that, right? Yeah, something like that. I mean, especially if you live in Utah or Southern mm -hmm. Idaho, where and, and like Salt Lake City area is not is actually majority non-Mormon. But if you live in one of the other counties, and I guess the Park City area is also majority non-Mormon, but the rest of Utah, Mormonism is kind of the de facto civic culture. And so not being a Mormon or being a former Mormon, like that can cause some problems for you, at least the way some people seem to see it. And I actually have a friend who's a cartoonist for the Salt Lake Tribune. His name is Pat Bagley. He calls himself a, a Mormon emeritus. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he's a progressive and he's progressive and just down the line. But he's like, there's there's some aspects about Mormon culture that are not bad, like be having mm -hmm. strong communities, supporting each other and taking pride in your community that and, and they don't bother him about it going to church or whatever. So he's like, why, why, why bother deregistering myself? not worth not worth the effort and that's pretty much my attitude as well like depending on my mood of the day i might say that i'm a mormon emeritus or former mormon that like there, there are some positive aspects of it like some people will go and have an affair as a midlife crisis moment and then other people will have a divorce <laughs> as a midlife crisis behavior and it's like you probably should just go to a therapist yeah and instead of fucking your life up and your kids lives up 
and and obviously they have they take that too far i think more and sue because they do like they tell people you cannot go to the highest they have they have multiple levels of heaven and they tell people you cannot go to the highest level of heaven unless you're married and um, what the rest of them are like these like purgatory like level oh no it's not like purgatory no it's like um it's like because so so mormons believe that that okay so there's three levels of heaven there's also hell as well so there's four places you can end up and the highest level of heaven it's really great and they don't really detail it too much but they only really talk about the highest level which is you can become a god literally wow and that, about that feels blasphemous <laughs> says the atheist <laughs> well the culturally christian went to a christian high school like that that i don't know just yeah but you know what and in a sense i think it makes more sense because at least you have something to do in the eternities but Um, what if i'm not that aspirational what if i'm fine with just being on the lowest level of heaven i mean it can't be that's okay you can do that yeah like they're not saying you have to do it so if Um, i if i talk to like a church leader and i said i think i'm just aiming for the lowest level of heaven like that's got to be dope it's maybe there's an even higher level, but like, I don't need, I can just go to my favorite restaurant. I don't have to belong to Soho house. Like what, <laughs> what would their response be? I think that would really depend on the person, but I, I have, I definitely have seen people say that. Uh, oh, that, that was openly was the, and be like, and it's cool. Well, 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 these were, these were former Mormons have said that, that to me. They told me that while they were Mormon, that they thought, well, I don't know that I can become worthy to become, to hit the highest level. And so I'm okay having these other, this other level. That was my aspiration is what they said to me. And Yeah, but that's different than saying to a church leader. Like, I want to know if the church leader would say, well, no. The, I'm, the, yeah, the they probably would say you shouldn't do that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, they probably tell <laughs> yeah. you not to do that. But, you know, I mean, like, no, it's, it is, I mean, but ultimately I do think maybe that's part of, they do have a, Mormons do have a real striver culture. And there was, in the the mid-20th century, like, related to FDR, like, there actually did start to develop a, uh, Mormon socialist tradition as well that was able to see a way of melding these two ideas together. And actually, I, the guy who was, I guess, the second highest member of their leadership, he was a, a Canadian socialist for a, a number of decades. And so, and, and like, I think, that, so some of that communitarianism does protect Mormons from a lot of the radicalization that you see mm. with evangelicals um, and the fact that they were persecuted. I mean, they were obviously, they did a lot of terrible things themselves with people, but it was legal in the state of Missouri to kill a Mormon and you could not be prosecuted for it. I'm wow. Worried. Yeah. yeah it, the, I don't know of any other <laughs> demographic group wow. where it was legal to murder them. <laughs> There's, yeah, that's something pretty mind-blowing about that. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, so that does, that has protected a lot of them from this. Because, like, but here's the paradox, though, Kelly, is that Mormons also kind of invented Christian nationalism as well. Most people, the only thing they know about Mormons is the Book of Mormon and underwear. 
was, uh. yeah, I was going to say, yeah, magic underwear. And I was actually, <laughs> I actually was going, I didn't want to interrupt you, but I was going to ask is, I was going to ask if as a former Mormon, the question you get asked by people who have know nothing about Mormonism is, is, is it mostly about magic underwear? <laughs> yeah, no, the answer is no. Uh, and yeah, although, because the other thing is like, they actually have changed the underwear over the Yeah, centuries. I know. I've listened to an entire podcast uh, about it, but keep, keep going on the Christian nationalist. Oh, okay. Well, uh, so basically, Christopher Columbus is in the Book of Mormon. And yeah, like you actually have to read it though to know that he's in there. But basically, Mormon doctrine is God inspired him to discover the Western Hemisphere. And of course, they don't know anything about Leif Erikson or any of the other people that had come here. But he, of course, was like a later discoverer of America. That the earlier discoverers of America were the these ancient Jews who came here. And they are the ancestors of Native Americans. Although, actually, sorry, I should say I prefer the Canadian term First Nations. Yeah. Uh, I like that better because it's less confusing because we're Native Americans. So. Right. so, but anyway, but yeah, so the First Nations people, according to Mormons, came from these ancient Jews. But in the Book of Mormon, it says that when God showed them or helped them come to the this hemisphere, he eternally decreed that if you are allowed to live in this hemisphere, you have to believe in Jesus. Otherwise, he's going to destroy your civilization. Mm. That's pretty much Christian nationalism right there. Yeah. And that theme is just pro repeated over and over and over in the Book of Mormon that, you know, oh, the, the people are becoming wicked again. They're not going to the church. Well, right. it looks like the, the bad guys are going to start killing them again. And sure enough, <laughs> yeah. that's what happens. And then the end of their civilization comes because they did decide to not believe. And they had forgotten the gospel. And so then, although it doesn't, it's completely illogical, of course, though, because the, so like basically the, the ancient Hebrews, they split off into two different tribes. And one tribe immediately stopped believing in Jesus so that kind of contradicts the whole idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then the fact that the ones who didn't believe in Jesus won, like, that doesn't quite square the circle, if you know what I mean. And I never, and I never thought about that actually until just right now. Uh, Are there? I mean, I, I had a moment where I was going to say you should do a podcast that is entirely dedicated to unraveling Mormonism for people, but. I'm sure that there already is one, right? Do you know if there's... Yeah, there's, a, there's one out there. Actually, a friend of mine, he's actually one of the podcasts in, in our podcast, Flux Podcast Directory. It's called Radio Free Mormon is what he calls it. Oh. But his stuff is like extremely deep dive, though. So like, if you're not a Mormon, you really might not understand it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I meant, I meant something that for people that... I mean, I, really, mm. I think that Mormonism ex exists as this kind of like... People think of it as like a, a novelty religion or I mean, there's so much that people don't know about it and sort of have made up or filled in the blanks for themselves or just they mm -hmm. just kind of look on it as this just kind of odd thing and someone who could talk to people not doing these super deep mm -hmm. dives that are for because like this is all stuff that I just had no idea about like there's 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 a ton of it and when you're telling me about different factions or that's 
stuff that most people don't know. I mean, they don't even know just sort of like the surface level of what we would call like mainstream Mormonism. Like I think, yeah. huh. I think there, yeah, I think there I would be an it. audience for that. Yeah. Yeah. Or at the very least like a mini series. Cause I mean, and, and actually I do in my book, I do talk a lot about Mormon doctrine in history in my book. So, um, and how it relates to me as well, because like they're, I mean, because, yeah, I mean, there is a number of things. So, like, my my dad, he paradoxically is further to the right of the church, but was also further to the left at the same time in some ways. So, mm-hmm. like, they had this doctrine that if you were of African descent, you couldn't have... Huh, yeah. That you couldn't have the priesthood if you were... And it was explicitly African, so it wasn't, like, if you were Indonesian or something, or Aboriginal, like... You, Although that would be interesting. I don't know about the Aboriginal side of things because, I mean, they look pretty much like Africans. But anyway, I don't think they did discriminate against them. But whatever it was, that was a doctrine that my dad really didn't like as a young adult. And he had told me that he was he had thought a few times of leaving the church over it. And then they repealed that doctrine just a few months before I was born, actually. So there's kind of a, or I get a few months after I was born. And then there's other things like I was, I lived in the town where the original satanic panic started. Which Um, is where? Pleasant Grove, Utah. And it was started by this woman who had written this book previously. So she was a non-Mormon, but she wrote a book called Go Ask Alice which became, I think somebody made it into a movie, I think. It was a, it was a movie against a book. Wait, she's teenagers. the woman that wrote the book Go Ask Alice? Yeah. Okay, so just so you know, when I was a kid, like my mom would give me boxes of her old books, and, and that book was one of them. So I read that book when I was like, I think the first time I read it, I was like 11 or 12. And then by the time I was in high school, I was like, there's some stuff that just doesn't make sense. And then, like, obviously, like, I've done deep dives on it and just... It didn't make sense. <laughs> yeah, it totally didn't make sense. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. you don't... People don't have their first drug experiences. Like, they did a bunch of cocaine and then they got addicted to acid and then they... You know, it's just like... Mm-hmm. It's so clearly written by someone who's just like, drugs, 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 drugs. But... Drugs, um, drugs are bad. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if... I don't know if that's a book that I feel like for someone... I mean, I had a lot of... You're pretty rare, friends though. Were, well, I had a lot and, of friends, a lot of friends who were like pretty, like also similarly precocious kids who got into their parents' old books and and had parents that were like, yeah, I should read that. And but I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not sure that it's a book. I actually did listen to a. You told me you don't, but like there's a show called You're Wrong About, which I enjoy. They just take mm-hmm. apart shit that you're like you maybe remember a headline from when you were a kid, but you definitely have the story completely wrong. And they did a, a, an entire episode, two two episodes, I think, on Go Ask Alice. Okay. And, yeah, and I was wondering, like, is it a thing that like people even know about anymore? Like, or did it? Yeah, I don't. I I think you're pretty rare as a millennial who knows about that book. And, and to be honest, like, I I think only I don't like I I personally had never heard of the book when I was in until I became an adult. So I think it was like older Gen X and boomers were the, yeah. the one were the ones who were reading this book, is my guess. And but anyway, so she so that book was like a huge bestseller and kind of the first of its kind. Yeah. And now of course there's a ton of that shit. And and I guess 
I don't necessarily begrudge telling people that drugs are abuse is bad and here's what can happen to you. But, you know, you shouldn't lie to people. (laughs) Yeah. But nonetheless, anyway, so she had that book. And then she was like, well, I need to have a second book. And she had heard about this boy, a teenage boy in Pleasant Grove, Utah, who had committed suicide. And there were rumors about him and Satanism. And so she came to the town and basically wrote this grotesquely fictionalized account of his life and and death. What's the Uh, name of the book? Jay's Journal is the name of it. Okay. Oh, is it is it done in similar sort of like uh, you know oh, it's, diary yeah, it, style? It is. Yeah. It's <laughs> oh a God, the master of the fake teen diary. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And and basically, the premise of the book is that he gets into he gets a Ouija board and contacts a demon, and the demon say less. Ends. That obviously, yeah. There's nowhere <laughs> else you can go from there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so anyway, but like that book started the satanic panic um, in Ah. the United States, the original one. And largely that hasn't stopped. We've been like people, a lot of times people on the internet are like, oh, it's, this is the QAnon is the return of the satanic panic. And it's like, nah, it, it never stopped. You just didn't notice it. Well, Um, I mean, it, I think of it as having stopped in the sense that like, it's so the not, national press wasn't talking about it. Right. And it's not like a thing that you're like, people recognize that it was like a social panic or they, I mean, obviously we're deeply in the throes of, of it right now, but like there was a period where it was like, oh, those memories were planted and there was no daycare mm-hmm. that, you know, but like, so yeah, I think yeah, it I, did die out like a lot. Yeah, it, it died out only in the sense that the mainstream press stopped talking about it. I think that's it. But like the people who people weren't consistently recovering memories and stuff. I mean, it wasn't mainstream in the same way. Yeah. Okay. I I agree with that. But like the people, like because like this whole evangelical subculture developed about around these themes, and and actually the Exorcist played a a big role in creating this subculture as well. And so, and actually, I've done a couple of episodes on theory of change about this sort of demonic possession battle spiritual warfare battle mm-hmm. pretty much every evangelical now at this point is on board with this stuff and thinks about it every day like yeah for people who are not who were never religious and didn't really have an exposure to this evangelical stuff or mormons or like whatever christian fundamentalist beliefs like they don't show you what they're really thinking but right. like for for a lot of these people Satan plays a more active role in their life than God does. And they think about Satan yeah. more than God. Yeah. But oh, ironic, actually, yeah. ironically, they spend most of their time thinking about Satan. Yeah. Well, Red it, it show, shows in their actions, doesn't it? <laughs> I just, the other day, I was like, I went down some rabbit hole with, I'm actually going to look him up really fast. But I ended up watching, God, it was like a night that I had really bad insomnia and I ended up watching Mike Warnke do you know this person I'd never heard of him before someone put a clip on social media anyway he was a he was a satan or anti-satanic comedian who apparently thrived in the 80s and sold out like tons of shows um 
his whole thing was that he had been a Satanist before and then, you know, had been delivered from that. And I mean, I, I really, really, there was an entire lengthy set of his on YouTube. And of course, he has a Wikipedia page and I can't, I cannot recommend it <laughs> any more than, you know, I'm right. It's, it's, it's incredible. I mean, this guy had a, a pretty long career and, and books. And, and then in the meantime, he was doing all kinds of like shady shit in the background. But I don't know, you know how you have jokes about I'm against Satan. Like, how is that a joke? Yeah, I, I didn't get it at first either. I mean, it's it's sort of like he has these he has very clean, right, very wholesome comedy. And then mm. in the midst of that, he'll start to weave in like how this is how you fool Satan when they all kind of laugh at the whale of Satan. That's how you that's how you throw him off. And and then mm. he talks about like a dog slobbering on a porch. And that's hilarious. I mean, it's not listen, it's not it's mm. not. It's hundred percent. It's, it's well, I mean, it's hilarious in many unintentional ways, but I would. Mm, yeah. Well, we'll definitely have to put a link for people to check that out. Um, you, you seem so. like you're not that enthused about it, but if no, no, can... I think that is not true. No, I'm like I'm th I was, I'm thinking about it because actually you made me think of something, but I didn't want to interrupt you. Oh, it's uh, just really Mike Warnke, I think W A R N K E. Okay, tell me okay. what you were. Hit me. Okay. Well, so what? you made me think about was that because like yeah trying to figure out how to trick satan like that was something that yeah. i thought about in my and my family thought about a lot also because like we had this whole lore about that satan he hear he can hear what you're saying to other people but he can't hear your thoughts and so maybe you can say something that you're not really going to do as a way of tricking satan oh uh, yeah to get let to stop him from tempting you about something and like i remember god I'm, i wasted too much time thinking about that shit <laughs> just like bait and switch satan yeah basically yeah although presumably i i never got to the point where it was like so you're you're going to be more dishonest than you're going to be dishonest and trick satan is that what it's <laughs> Yeah, I mean, does God care if you're being dishonest, if you're like lying left and right, if it's all, if it's intended to throw off Satan? Does he, does he look the other way because he thinks that's? Yeah, I think, no, and I think the Bible is pretty clear that that's okay. Because okay. um, like okay. Abraham in the Bible, when he, right, when he yeah. went to Egypt, he lied about his wife being his sister because he thought that the Pharaoh would kill him if he knew that he was married to this woman because apparently she was really hot. Mm. And so, but, and, and of course, Abraham didn't actually exist. So there's that. <laughs> uh, do you, have you ever read Shalom Auslander? I feel like no, you would really no. like him. Oh, he's a, I would say lapsed here. I mean, he's a, he's a, he grew up Hasidic and la he's, he's very much in the vein of like a David Rakoff or a David Sedaris, but he's like, he's, a lapsed Orthodox Jew, specifically Hasidic, though, which is far more intense than just like identifying as Orthodox. Absolutely. And he spent his childhood. I mean, he a lot. All of his books are kind of like Foreskin's Lament is the best one, but it's all about oh, him wow. <laughs> being furious at God, like just feeling like God is just trying to fuck up his life at every turn, like even as a kid, and just how and how and trying to get over that feeling as an adult and i mean he's he's hilarious he's done some npr stuff too but i, I think you mm. would really enjoy his stuff yeah, just, yeah just so. get it's 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 it feels like it's tied to our conversation 
Yeah. Which, by the way, I have to say, like that's a that's a very <laughs> a very creative book title. But it also does make me think because, like, you look at all this right wing, you know, panic about being children, uh, and it's like Drinking kids you blood. are in favor of cutting off parts of boy babies' <laughs> penises. Right. Uh, and you're okay with also a man sucking baby blood, penises. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And, and you don't see anything wrong with these practices. And it's like, if you actually were serious about this stuff, you would ban circumcision for male and female. Because it is also a fact that there are, I mean, I guess it's not that common, but it is it has happened a number of times. I've seen people talk about it, that there was a circumcision accident when they were a baby. And their penis was permanently mutilated. So the doctor was like, well, maybe you should just have your son live as a girl. Yeah, I've heard of that there's too. There's no and, penis left. Uh-huh. And I've, I've also heard of, I mean, obviously this is specific, like if after a bris, parents find out that their kid has herpes. There was, there was a literal outbreak, like when I first moved to New York, I remember outbreak oh, being wow. like four babies. But yeah, it's a... It's a it's an odd thing for sure. But a, another thing that I think is interesting in the worst segue moment perhaps ever recorded is <laughs> that Steven Crowder, someone found a tidbit where he mentions that he previously was bi and has real fears about those desires resurfacing. And I think it speaks volumes about who he is, how he operates, the way he's treated mm-hmm. staffers, and just w- w- what would make him a much happier person in a different life that didn't involve taking all those feelings and pushing them down and uh, having them seep out in lots of other toxic ways. Yeah. Well, that's why I always say that it's best to understand reaction as a psychological phenomenon rather than an ideological phenomenon in Stephen Absolutely. Crowder. Yeah is a perfect example. But of course, he's far, far from the only one who has been documented to have been a closeted gay or bi. Like Nick Fuentes has been accused of being gay. And I mean, there's a lot of evidence for that based on the things he said and the people he's had friendly relationships with. There's Milo Yiannopoulos, of course, who is obviously, what actually now says he's an ex-gay Right, yeah. Um, that's his current grift. But then we've got Ali Alexander, who was accused recently of soliciting sex from teenage boys. And then we Roger Stone actually has admitted to being bisexual. The Donald Trump advisor. We've got uh, a bunch of these manosphere types. Jack Donovan, who is like this alt-right influencer. It's just incredible. Yeah. And Jim Hoft, the gateway pundit guy, openly gay. And of course, there's obviously nothing wrong with these people being bi or gay, clearly. Yeah, and if only they uh, knew that, then maybe we wouldn't have to deal with the kind of public menaces that they've become, honestly. And I do hate the trope of the self-loathing closeted, because I think it's something that Hollywood has exploited in a really awful way, right? Like mm-hmm. the, the, the self-loathing closeted gay or bisexual, specifically man character who then becomes like a homicidal killer or something. But... We do see mm-hmm. a lot of these people who are unwilling to, who have deep issues with themselves um, and who take it out on everyone else. And yeah, well, and it has actually been, with those folks. yeah, and it actually has been documented. There have been studies that do document that people who have, it, it's the most anti 
queer sentiment actually have a higher propensity of being queer themselves. Um, Oh yeah. And react to porn. I mean, literally they put, there's an experiment I read where they put cigar bands on people's penises while they watched gay porn and people who scored higher on levels of homophobia were inevitably were the most turned on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot of these guys ultimately, they don't have a, a correct understanding of even what it means to be bi or gay. Like, they don't understand that you don't have to be a fey or a feminine gay man. You can be a masculine gay man if that's what you want. And there's all kinds of people who, who identify as that. And In fact, there's and, a, I think there's a pretty unfair privilege that, and I think there's a lot of gay men who would agree with me, that for mask gay dudes, yeah, well, it's not my community, so I can't really say. But yeah, I mean, anyway, but like, yeah, it's it's something that is welcomed and, you know, and and certainly in a lot of ways you could, yeah, admired in, in some regards. So it's not even just about religion for a lot of these guys. Obviously, some of them are religiously motivated. Uh, I mean, like Crowder, it seems his repression does seem to be religiously motivated, but these other ones, it's not. But that's really kind of part of why they... The reactionary right hates sexual minorities so much, though, because what really what their project is, isn't just to sort of attack the government, because only some of them are really interested in that. It's about preserving old ways of doing things. And so that's why feminism is so terrible. That's why being openly gay or trans is so terrible that's why for a lot of them interracial dating or even advertising like they they complain about that now like seeing interracial relationships in advertising that that's this horrible traumatizing thing and really what it comes down to is that they don't want to acknowledge that other ways of being exist and have value and you know The good thing is, like, people are not, they know, like, they now know that they're in the minority. Um, (laughs) You are having so much fun over there. (laughs) Uh, I just heard people can't obviously see, but my cat's kind of refusing to leave (laughs) my lap. This is what it's like all day, like, trying to type and having her in one arm and then putting her down and having her walk away and then show up five minutes later, so... I actually haven't seen this yet. It looks very cozy. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, anyway, so like, that's ultimately the message I think that is worth keeping in mind is that the good, the good people actually are winning. We just have to hold this stuff together long enough. Um, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think one of the things that at the core I believe, even on the, there are days where I don't feel it, but mm-hmm. ultimately is that you have all these revanchist forces that will stymie progress and maybe stall it for indefinite periods, but inevitably it comes and you just kind of have to keep pushing until mm-hmm. it does, pushing back against all the other forces that are trying to stop it from happening. Yeah, yeah, and it's, yeah, and it's worth keeping that in mind all the time so yeah Yeah. all right well i think you have to get to your cat duties then (laughs) for a little bit i think sorry she was such an interrupter today no that's all right 
Well, we're going away this weekend too, so I almost feel like it's like she can anticipate that we're leaving or something. She's been really needy this week. I don't know. I mean, I'm not projecting like ESP on my cat or anything, but you know. <laughs> well, I I think sometimes they can see the things you do when you pack. Yeah, like, like they they know when the luggage comes out. Yeah, they know that that the humans are going to go somewhere. Because like yeah, my dog definitely knows that when we take the leash out, it's time to go or. When I take my keys out, like she knows I'm gonna leave. She's figured it out. They're smarter than than we give them credit for sometimes. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I think this. Yeah, wait. That's a good stopping point here. So. Okay. I thought right. that was a good discussion, though. I did too. I did too. And I'll probably have to cut out some of the the stuff to keep it close to 30 minutes if I can, but. Yeah. What do you think, it Lola? It was good. Lola? <laughs> do you think that's good? <laughs> okay. All right. I'll see good show. You. Good job today. Yes. Likewise. All right. See you later. Okay. Bye. Bye. What a way.